Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler. And today, back by popular demand, is our co-host, Renee Pollan. Hey, Renee. Hello. So we just enjoyed doing our Together podcast so much that we wanted to bring this back to you for the second edition of the co-hosted RN Huddle. And last time we talked to you about our school experiences and being a nursing student, but today we figured that we would kind of return to our roots and get back to the purpose of RN Huddle, which is to talk about hot topics in nursing. So hot topics in nursing for nurses by nurses. Renee and I are both nurses. So we're going we're gonna to present some of those to you and then um, we'll, we'll give you some of our reactions. And I highly encourage you to write to us, give us feedback on some of your reactions to what we're going to talk about today too. What do you think, Renee? Good plan? Good plan. Let's get into it. All right. So, you know, there's so much going on in healthcare right now, particularly for nursing. In the, the wake of a pandemic, there's been so many demands on our profession in particular. I think maybe in some cases above and beyond other professions, just due to the nature that we're so hands-on with our patients. And so, you know, and taking a look across the board and, and seeing what trends are out there, I think one of the biggest trends that I've seen is the rise in telehealth. So are you seeing this too, Renee? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, with COVID and all, it's, it's helped increase the social distancing, uh, as we know, to help mitigate the spread of COVID. Right, right. So we have people trapped at home, uh, not knowing how to access healthcare because there really was no way of getting into the clinic unless you were direly ill. So um, interestingly enough, you know, telehealth isn't a new thing. It's been around for a long time, and, and we know that nurses are integral to, to telehealth, both as RNs and also as advanced practice providers, too. And so I think the pandemic really caused a huge shift in that previously reimbursement was not across the board. And, you know, if you had the chance to go into a clinic, it wasn't necessarily reimbursed to have the same type of visit uh, via telehealth, but that rapidly shifted as we saw. Right. There was always interest, though, by patients and healthcare providers of telehealth, but yeah, there was definitely barriers. Right, right. So if, if there could be a silver lining in the, the pandemic, it would be that this shift in reimbursement really allowed telehealth to explode. Mm-hmm. Yep, the barriers were broken down. We do know that there are organizations out there that are looking at telehealth, and I thought it might be interesting to look at some of these studies and the statistics that were applicable to nursing. And one that I looked at was the American Hospital Association. They were looking at the use of telehealth nursing services, and what they found was that 76% of patients Uh, said that they prioritize being able to access care over the need for human interactions with their healthcare providers. So what do you think that means for us, Renee, as nurses? Well, yeah, I've been seeing, uh, definitely seeing that even with my own family members, you know, um, that are vulnerable to, you know, COVID. And um, I see them prioritizing and 
asking even, you know, asking me for advice on what to do and how to prioritize it. For instance, my father had a, a dermatology appointment, but he did it via a photo through a system in that he used an app on his phone. I can't remember what it's called. I assisted him with that. And he just, you know, took about five minutes to take a picture of the lesion that we were concerned about, sent it to the doctor and got a prescription right back. So um, it was very, very simple and it limited the potential for exposure, you know, waiting in the office or interacting with others when it wasn't, you know, necessary. It's so interesting because, you know, I, I remember in nursing school and then prevalently through being a working nurse that we, we as nurses and as a nursing profession, we really value the benefit of having human to human interaction and the healing power of touch. And we really advocate for that uh, live face-to-face interaction between two people as a, an, an integral part of healing. So to see that, that now the desire for patients to have some form of healthcare over that human interaction, what does that say for nursing? That's, that's what goes through my mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. The interaction is very important, especially with education, hands-on training, whatever that may be with the nurse. You know, I, I know a lot of my training with my patients, I had to do a lot of hands-on education. So, but um, it, makes us, it makes us think about, you know, with your experience with your dad, you were able to assist him as a nurse, knowledgeable about the profession, knowledgeable about how diagnostics work. And so your role as a nurse seemed to have switched between, you know, having a live interaction with someone to more of a, of a virtual advisory panel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're coming out, you know, doing even virtual wound care, which it just blows my mind, giving advice over uh, a platform where you can see the wound and assess it. So it's just amazing what they can do. Yeah, I do see in reading too that the telehealth system is kind of a hybrid a little bit too. Um, And it's been a learning curve to go into telehealth and now some reimbursement is easing up on the telehealth um, and pushing it more back towards in-person. And we're back back to that reimbursement driver again. Um, But I'm sure we've learned a few things with this and... um, you know, it makes me think about the role of training in nursing and the value of having this kind of training in your primary nursing education. And then, you know, you and I are very familiar with um, the benefits of continuing nursing education and and bringing these different and new emerging skills into the hands of the nurse. Yeah, I honestly have been just in awe of how quickly nurses adapted, patients adapted, other healthcare providers adapted to it. You know, it's just amazing, you know, in time of crisis of what we have available to us um, technology-wise to continue our care. Right, right. And thinking about that shift and how adaptable nursing has become, um, it makes me think about there was a survey done by the American Telemedicine Association And this survey predicted that 50% of healthcare services might be provided by telehealth within the next five years. And I think that that we really saw that crash course in front of us, that the crash pilot of, of what that would look like. 
It also says that, that this would help to balance the need for the 1.1 million new RNs that, that is predicted our healthcare system will need. So that's pretty significant. You know, another point, telehealth, you know, with the crisis of uh, PPE, the availability of it, you know, telehealth actually, you know, reduced the use of PPE, which would be another trend we have seen with the use of the masks. Um, being limited and um... yeah yeah speaking of PPE let's go ahead and, and transition into that that is another trend that if well nurses have definitely you don't need to go to the news or the media to know this as a practicing nurse you know that PPE has been in short supply and as are many of the other different types of PPE that are needed when you are dealing with a pathogen like COVID we definitely had what we needed in the way of gloves and normal masks, uh, the surgical masks. But when it comes to not knowing what COVID was, how it was transmitted, and having the need to elevate the PPE into the N95 level of, of masking, and then you know you don't know if it's droplet or what's going on. So then mm. having other forms of PPE, it was a real crisis. It was, and it was a real shock to nurses because still is really yeah really yeah it's reusing masks and gowns and it seems to be getting better in some places with access to those supplies but yeah that was I know um, created a lot of anxiety amongst nurses and and the staff well Uh, yeah I mean nurses were putting their lives on the line going in and taking care of patients who in many cases were dying right in front of them not knowing what was causing the symptoms. I mean, we knew it was COVID, but we didn't know a whole lot about transmission or uh, you know, what degree of, of safety was standing between this dying patient, this infectious patient, and the nurse that's expected to care for them ethically. It's, right. really, it's, it's a question of, it's an ethical question of me or them. And that's, that's not something that a nurse can take mm-hmm. easily. Right. And with all of that, the donning and doffing is so critical. There was a lot of different facilities were strictly going through that education with staff and making sure that it was very precise, you know, not making sure you're performing it correctly, not in the wrong order to help prevent the spread. So Right, right. Constant demand for perfection or lest you become infected yourself. And, you know, you mentioned that that PPE, it seems to be, that the shortage seems to be alleviated now, but I'm looking at a survey that was released September 1, so, you know, about a month and a half ago, that the American Nurses Association did looking at a nationwide COVID-19 survey, and that survey found that personal protective equipment shortages persist and reuse practices for single-use PPE is still present and on the rise, despite a lack of standard practices and evidence of safety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the debate is out there as to whether what we're doing uh, was working. Right, right. You know, I read in an article, uh, I will have to post it for everyone, but it was actually a hospital in China, and this came out earlier, kind of before it, hit us majorly um, in the U.S., but they were providing, well, there's a hospital that provided a system for infection control purposes, 
and uh, they called it the observing system of some sort and they were providing real-time monitoring and immediate correction by what they called the observers so where they monitor the medical staff in real time on computers in a separate room in person so um, they would make sure they're doing appropriate donning and doffing of PPE to prevent the spread. And sometimes if they didn't do it correctly, they would place the staff member um, in 14 days of quarantine if it was done wrong. So oh, wow. that was interesting. I know that we have a similar system mm -hmm. here at UNMC. We are one of the the worldwide leaders in biocontainment practices. We have our biocontainment unit here course that was put into to service with first with Ebola and then with COVID mm -hmm. and we we uh, had a similar system in place here of you know staff members would watch each other don yep. and doff to make sure it was done correctly because one slip up would contaminate everything outside of the biocontainment unit mm -hmm. Super um, important. continuous monitoring yes right right so this survey that I was talking about a minute ago by the ANA 21,000 nurses across the U.S. actually participated in it. So the strength of these findings is pretty robust. And they actually have a, a figure here where 42% of nurses say that they're still experiencing widespread or intermittent PPE shortages. And that probably over half of nurses, which is up 15% from May, report that they're still reusing single-use PPE, like N95 masks, for five or more days. And 68% say reuse is required by their facilities policy. Mm. <laughs> right. I don't know, what do you think about that? Oh, I re yes, I, I remember when all this came out and just, you know, I know everyone was just absolutely disgusted by it, you know, thinking, you know, we're used to just throwing it right out after one use in the room. And, you know, yeah. it's not really ever thinking about, you know, I just kind of took it for granted the availability of it. So definitely took a turn. And I know the comfort level of them has been an issue as well, unfortunately, leaving marks on faces and with the masks. So. Right, right. I mean, causing physical harm to the nurses because those N95s are not, they're not comfortable at all. And, you know, I'd like to, to say that we were immune here in Nebraska, but we, we suffered with, with having to reuse as well, mm -hmm. um, which actually prompted UNMC to do some rapid testing and studies mm -hmm. on the use of UV light to yeah. decontaminate. So even though we were reusing, there were mechanisms by which to decontaminate in between usage, which I'm, I'm pretty proud of UNMC for I that. I know, I was very proud when that came out and was able to be used across the nation. So, right, right. very, very helpful. We know that the CDC and ANA both strongly are against the use of having no decontamination method in place, which, I mean, that's perfectly understandable when you're talking about pathogens that are contagious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're talking about the fear that it causes. I think about being a practicing nurse in, in, in the surge areas, which we are actually experiencing a surge here in Nebraska right now, which is very scary where we're at capacity in our, our units and um, looking at having to transfer patients to different hospitals and such. Yep, limiting elective surgeries again. And yeah, yeah, capacities um, down, visitation down. 
But what that really made me think about is the trend early on in the first surges in the East, et cetera, and the West, where there weren't enough nurses to take care of the patients. And so what trend did we see happen there? Renee, what do you think? Travel nursing has been up and roaring. So they uh, definitely have been highlighted during this pandemic travel nursing profession. So with banning elective surgeries, some without jobs, but the travel nursing opened those opportunities for those that maybe were jobless for a little while and were able to travel to those hotspot areas. So, um, right, right. It makes us think about how nursing really has become very specialized, particularly the ICU nurses and the, the critical care nurses. You know, you can't just walk into that without any training. You need training and you need experience in order to be mm -hmm. very effective. And so, you know, in some cases, nurses had to retrain. And in some cases, nurses who had those specialties traveled and hospitals were able to fill their needs with travel nursing, which I think is pretty brave to travel from right. a safe zone into, into the middle of it. I think it's so neat to hear those stories and how many felt, you know, the responsibility to travel to those hotspots and care for those in need of care, um, including patients with COVID, you know, putting their own lives at risk, leaving families, friends to go help out during a crisis. So, right. And I right. know that nursing compact license too has really helped people, nurses, you know, travel from different states with that single license, enabling them to work across borders of the state. That's right. That's right. That's something that, you know, you don't think about when things are stable and things are fine. But when, when something like this hits, you realize all the work and the benefit that goes into one test, one license, one set of standards so that you know a nurse in this state is equivalent to a nurse in that state. Mm -hmm. and you don't have to overcome those barriers when you need nurses the most. Right. They were able to just jump right into it. And you know what else I thought was interesting back in March? The wage increased 76%, more than doubled for travel wow. nurses. So that need was just in critical need throughout the right. Right. I don't think there's any uh, statistics on travel nursing that have come out since the, the pandemic, but I do know that travel nursing uh, last year, health leaders reported that travel nursing was up 7% with more than one in 10 hospitals using at least two dozen or more traveling nurses to help meet patient care needs. So, you know, the infrastructure was there, luckily, to, to support the surges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was reading uh, there was an article that came up from San, San Diego Tribune. Um, there were some nurses. Well, one in particular I thought was interesting. Um, she just was supposed to start graduate school when COVID hit. And in, instead she decided, you know, that she needs to help in the crisis. And so she um, delayed her education and decided wow. uh, one quote was dying alone is unacceptable to me. And so she wanted to help. So um, that was really interesting. And one of the nurses in one of the stories also, you know, traveled out of state, leaving children and families, like I had said earlier, and, but she was looking for a place to live. And she looked on Airbnb and that particular place she was looking at, the owners were said, you know, were really concerned about a healthcare worker <laughs> coming into the place. 
And so she couldn't go there. And then she tried an apartment complex and it wasn't furnished. And so the, who she was talking to kind of asked, why are you, you know, moving here? And they got into talking and they found out that she was traveling to come help during the crisis. And so they ended up furnishing it for her so that she could come and take care of those patients. And that's like a tale of two cities, you know, one place banning her for wanting to help in the pandemic and then another place really yeah. welcoming her as part of the solution. Exactly. Um, it's really yeah. interesting. I'm proud of nursing for another reason in that the pandemic really caused a lot of political and societal division. But if a nurse who's on the front lines, many of these were travel nurses, told their stories of, look, I don't know what you're hearing in the media. I don't know what you're hearing from your friends and family. But as a nurse on the front line, traveling into this pandemic, here's what I know. And here's what you can count on as far as real facts. And I really think that that of everything was the most trusted and the, the best information that, that could come out of it all. Absolutely. So, but you know, all the nurses that were in the surges and just taking care of patients selflessly, this thing called nurse burnout and mental health yeah. and nurse burnout, this is another trend. And this trend was present even before mm -hmm. the pandemic. Yes, in was. fact, you know, we in, at RN Huddle ran a two-part series on burnout uh, back in February of this year, right before everything right before. hit, ironically. Yeah. yeah. And so if you haven't heard that, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that. It's with our own Dr. Steve Wangle here, psychiatrist and um, vice chancellor of well-being at UNMC. Very but, important topic. Right, right. And so... There's, there's really a lot of information out there on nurse burnout, particularly in, in the wake of all of this. One report that was published actually before the pandemic stated that 15.6% of all nurses reported feeling burnt out. But here's an interesting thing. The percentage of burned out nurses rose to 41% of those who were considered unengaged Hmm. So um, what, what does that mean for us as nurses to see such a drastic jump in burnout based on that? You said unengaged. When was that pulled, that statistic? Um, I'm not seeing, it, it was done before the pandemic hit. Before the pandemic. Yeah, oh, but, it, but here's the thing, 41% of unengaged nurses. And so unengaged was defined as um, may not be part of a team with colleagues oh. Oh. Um, feeling emotionally checked out from their work, um, having diminished morale. And so all three of those things were exacerbated by the, the pandemic. Absolutely, yeah. The symptoms of anxiety and, and, you know, and I know a lot of facilities, and I know here at Nebraska Medicine, you know, UNMC um, recognized that and provided therapist counseling 24-hour support for those that just needed to talk about it. You know, venting is always very helpful, right. uh, but um, there was a lot of, or there still is ongoing support to make sure that we're providing any type of services to maintain well-being. I think, I think the message that we learned here is that we had been working on burnout for a couple of years at UNMC and 
at our clinical partner, Nebraska Medicine, and we have a, an engagement officer and a well-being officer in our clinical partner institution. And they, like you said, Renee, they really worked hard to reconnect nurses that had been disengaged based to quarantining and, and clinics closing to prevent the spread. So really reaching out and making sure that those nurses were doing okay. Mm -hmm. And then for those that were still working or, or maybe they retrained to work in a different area, really just connecting with them and, and practicing mindfulness and intentional connectivity with them. Cause you know, we don't often talk about feeling burned out and sometimes you don't know it's happening because you're just in the throes of it all. And it just kind of happens. Right. So really being intentional if you're a leader and being intentional with your coworkers that engagement and, and really taking care of one another really makes a difference in, in how you're feeling. And of course, we know burnout affects patient safety and patient care too. So really important. Yes, definitely. Um, that team aspect can really improve morale, supporting one another, helping one another in practice. I know that was always, you know, when I started out, that was always important and kept our morale up for sure in the midst of stress. Right, right. We are social creatures. Yeah, we yeah. are social creatures and we deal with stress by kind of sharing that with one another and, mm -hmm. and, and we can't get so busy so that we're not caring for that aspect of us too. Support one another. Mm -hmm. We're going to get through this like they say, we're in it together. Right, right. And so I think that's probably our closing message for today, Renee, is that we've been through a hard time as nurses. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to be over anytime soon. So we really need to make some adjustments in, and, and ensure that we're in this for the long haul, that we put some strategies in place to take care of one another, to take care of our patients and take care of one another. And I'll say, I'll end with this, that if you are a nurse who's been feeling fatigued or down or depressed, I highly encourage you to reach out and just get some help and, and take that time that you need to recharge and reconnect. It means all the difference. Uh, we need all the nurses that we can get. <laughs> we need to stay together as, as professionals and as people. So I highly suggest that, uh, yes. that if you're feeling that way to reach out and if you're not feeling that way to reach out to others so that we can take care of each other. And if there's any, um, you have a story to tell, we'd love to hear it. You can contact us within UNMC College of Nursing, Continuing Nursing Education, and we'd love to hear your stories. That's right. That's right. So for all listeners out there, you know, we don't want this to be a Renee and Heidi only participation. Uh, we would love to hear what you have going on out there. If you know of anyone that you'd like to hear on RN Huddle or you have any stories or topics that you'd like us to address, go ahead and reach out. Our contact information is on our homepage. And so with that, that invitation, I think we're going to close today's episode out. So thank you so much to our listeners for listening to our episode today. This is Heidi Keeler and Renee Pollen closing out our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening to RN Huddle. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, 
Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.